We're going to start in Exodus. Of yes, Exodus. We're just going to read this, all right? Exodus 34, 1 through 4. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for, the, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. This is a really odd story, am I right? Like if you remember, Exodus story is all about God calling the people out of slavery, out of bondage, and they're experiencing freedom for the first time. And we see this, that Moses led them out of Egypt, which means that God really led them out of Egypt. And we see this, that God makes himself known repeatedly. The whole story, the plagues, they're getting chased to the Red Sea. There's no place to go. God opens the Red Sea. Not only does he open the Red Sea, but then he closes the Red Sea. And it's like carnage on the Egyptian side. They had just all experienced this. And, and we see this, that, God, that Moses goes up to the mountain and he's going to hear from the Lord. And they're like, what is taking Moses so long? Do we ever get that temptation like this? Because it's not Moses taking that long. It's God taking that long. Because Moses went up there just to hear from the Lord, to get the Ten Commandments. And so Moses is waiting, and he's waiting for God, and it's taking too long for the Israelites. And so they asked Moses' brother to build this golden calf for them. Now let's skip down, because God's going to respond. Exodus 34, 7 through 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So Moses is on this spiritual high. He's experiencing God up in the mountains. And down below, God is watching as the Israelites plummet into a spiritual low. And God tells Moses, hey, I've seen it. And they have seen me over and over and over again. The people have experienced me. And yet here we find ourselves that the people are still fearful in this. They have seen God move over and over again, but fear is still driving their actions and their behaviors. So why do I share this story? If you know, we're in the book of Mark and we're in this series called The Way of Jesus. And what does this have to do with it? Well, I want what emotions maybe have risen up in you as you read this story, that we would actually have compassion on them. Because oftentimes, I think that we read this story, or at least I read this story, and we begin to shake our heads at them. It's like, you stiff-necked people, what are you thinking? You just saw God do all these things, and yet here you see yourself with hardened hearts, and God's like, they're too difficult, 
let's just start over because this is crazy, right? And we read this and we're like, right on, God. I totally agree with you. Amen. Let's do this thing because it doesn't make sense. When you read it, you're like, this doesn't make sense that they could be like this. But when we read stories like this, I think it should make us think. Because they say, how could they even do this? How could they make a golden calf? But we better be careful not to throw rocks at a glass house. Because Jesus is going to have something to say about this. And we're going to see it in the way of Jesus. And we're going to see what it means to be followers of Christ. And what I want to press us on is that whenever we read these stories, we don't do a great job of putting ourselves in the shoes of the characters who are going through this because it changes it. If you ask this question, if I was at my current level of faith and I was an Israelite that went through that, would I be standing against the idol building or would I be going along with it? Because I think sometimes we can say, you know what, I'm way above that, but so often we're stiff-necked, right? So often we're stiff-necked because we're going to look at Mark 10, Open your Bibles there, and it's a story of discipleship 101, especially if you're a stiff-necked person. Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this story shows up in three different Gospels, all right? So you got, the, you got the Mark, you got the Gospel of Luke, and you got Matthew's Gospel. And so you're going to learn a little bit from each story. So I'm going to dissect each story. I'm going to put it all together, all right? We're going to, we went through each one. But there's three accounts, and there's a few things that we learn about the identity of this man. Because identity is going to play a large part of this story. If your life, how you see yourself and how other people see you in particular, really makes your actions look a little different, right? If you view yourself in one way, your actions are going to look a certain way. If you view yourself in another way, your actions are going to look this way, all right? And so identity is a big thing. And we're going to see that he is, number one, he's rich, okay? This dude is loaded. That's what it means. That's we, if you look it up in the Greek, it means he's not a scrub, he's rolling in it, okay? And so it's a term that means not only rich, but it means that he is super rich, all right? He is elite, and he was born probably into a wealthy family, which means that he had access to the best stuff, okay? He had access to the best education. He would have access to luxury. And it's kind of interesting because we actually, in today's world, even if you're not rich, we have more luxuries than he did. But at the time, he was very rich. And so what we see is that he had options. He had opportunity. When you are rich in that context, and even today, you have more options and opportunities. So this is a pressing thing that he's going to feel, okay? Number two, Matthew says he is young. So Matthew tells us that he's young. This is important to the context of the story. I'm going to throw this out here. In the Greek terms, generally, a young person meant that they were under 40, all right? I am 39, in eight months, I have like two or three more months, so I am still a young pastor. You can call me your young pastor for like three or four more months, all right? But 39 is young, amen? But from the, yeah, we've got a couple 39ers in here. 
So it's from their early 20s to 40 is what this guy is, okay? Now, why is that important? The dude has a lot of life in front of him. So he's rich with opportunities and options, and he's got the whole world in front of him, all right? This is important to the story. Not only does he now have time, not only does he now have energy, but he also, it says, has power. This is the trifecta. If you have this, you're rocking it. He's referred to as a ruler, and so the Greek word refers to a leader or an official of some point, and so someone with administrative authority. He, unlike the Roman, he's, he's unlikely a Roman official, but he's probably a Jewish official because of the question that he asked, okay? And so if you're rich, if you're young, and you're a ruler, you probably don't come running and kneel before anyone. Is that right? Like if you got those three things in today's world, you don't kneel in front of anyone. And so there is a sign of reverence that he has. He's getting this right, okay? And it's clear from his profound question and from his positioning that he sees Jesus as a spiritual guide. And so he's going to ask this. And his question assumes this. He must work for his salvation. He's going to ask this question. It's clear in his head. I got to do some work to experience eternal life. And so the question shows it that is a matter of what he does. And it's also clear that he's a little insecure about his salvation. Like this is a question like, I think I'm doing it all right, but I'm not really sure. And so Mark 10, 18 through 20, why do you call me good? Jesus said, answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus asked this really strange question, right? He says, why do you call me good? Jesus is not denying his own goodness or his own deity. He's rather saying all goodness comes from God. Man, you have to recognize this, that all goodness comes from God. He is shifting the focus from himself to God. He's recalibrating it in the man's mind. And I think Jesus wanted the man to see himself, not in the context of his own goodness, but in the context of God the Father's goodness. And it's interesting because he responds and he, report, he, he points to the Ten Commandments. And he focuses on the second half of the commandments. And so he doesn't focus on all of them, but he focuses on this side of the commandments that's duty to the neighbor. What he's saying is, look, you can take an inventory when it comes to duty for the neighbor, right? You can't joke with it. You know if you've done these or if you haven't. The first half are kind of like, ah, I think I did those. These are like, you know that you have done these. You have not murdered anyone, right? You have not committed fraud, all right? You have honored your mother and your father. He knows this about this. He knows that he has done the stuff that he thinks that it takes to get to eternal life. He firmly believes it. And he's like, hey, since I was young, so since he was 12, because in Jewish context, at 12, you now have to follow the law. But Jesus goes on because the dude's probably like, hey, I'm feeling really good about myself. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This word here, look, is like a penetrating 
look, all right? He looks intensely at the man. And there is power in this next statement. Jesus saw beneath the man's religious devotion, and he saw him at his deepest need, and it said Jesus loved him. When you read this line, Jesus loved him, there is no context in it. There's no studying it in a commentary and saying, oh, it actually means this. It means Jesus loved him. And Jesus does the same thing to you. Jesus looks beyond all the stuff that you do, and he looks deeply and intensely into you. And what does he say? He says, I love you. Someone needs to hear that. Take it at face value. Jesus loved the man and Jesus loves you. And I believe Jesus' next response is because he sees great potential in the man and great possibility in the man's life. Jesus loves the man and he responds in that love. And he responds in love to do what? To take the man to the next level. All right? Do you ever feel that about yourself? Jesus looks at you. I feel like I'm in this season with this. Like, Jesus, I know you look at me, and I know that you love me. And he sees me also with great potential. He sees all that I can be. And so he calls me to the next level, and I come kicking and screaming and saying, I don't want to. Just love me, Jesus, and take this burden off me. You ever feel that? I didn't know this phenomenon until I became a dad. My job with my kids is this, to see them who they are and to say, I deeply love you. And I need you to know that I love you. Now, I'm going to show you who you really are and the potential that you have. And I'm going to call you to the next level. A good parent does that. A good parent disciplines that way. A good parent calls them out that way. And Jesus is saying, I see this man for who he is and who he is as someone who I deeply love. And here's who you can be. You've done everything right. He's not going to, he's not going to, he's not going to sugarcoat it. You do the stuff, but here's where I want to take you to the next level. There's great possibility in this man. And he called it, and he calls him this. All of us are called to this. If you remember Mark 8, 34, no sugarcoat in this either. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is a hard verse. This is, we can read this verse like we can the people in Israel. And we're going to be like, man, they didn't get it. Or, you know, oh, people need to just take their cross up. And no, this is to you. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. When you read this, you read this, Jesus saying, I love you, and because I love you, I'm going to give you eternal life. But I also see potential in you, kingdom potential, and I want to take you to the next level. So Jesus tells him, go sell all your assets and give them to the poor. Again, he's rich, he's young, he's got all the time ahead of him, and he has power. This is a huge, huge ask. Jesus wanted to remove any obstacle blocking him. 
Any obstacle that's blocking him, any obstacle that's blocking you, Jesus wants to, uh, 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 to remove it because it appears he's lived a good life. But self-righteousness seems to be creeping in at the same time, right? This idea that you can achieve it, probably coupled with a love of money, which can you blame him? Jesus is, his purpose here is to puncture the man's self-righteousness. And he's like, I'm going to root all that out. And there seems to be an attachment that is taking place that Jesus wants to break him from. Now, I want this to hit home. We just talked about this with the Exodus, the people in Exodus. We can get a little judgmental. We can be like, you guys are hard-hearted, right? And you can look at this man, and we need to relate to him. We need to put ourselves in those shoes. It's not hard for some of us. If you live in America, you're living the rich young ruler's life, right? Put your shoes on there. Put, put, your, put you in your shoes. And he's saying, this is a spiritual problem. This is a spiritual problem. Now, this is not a general rule for discipleship. I'm not saying to go sell all your possessions. and give, I, I'm not. Jesus speaks to each of you, each of you, in the way that you need to hear it. But each of us will have obstacles in the way. And each of us are getting called over and over again by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I love you so much. I see you for who you are. Now, here's what I want you to do to go to the next level because we all have obstacles that are holding us back. It's a spiritual problem. It's not always money, although it can be. At times, there are times in my life that I have to confess the money problem. Matter of fact, I had lunch with a good friend on Friday, and I had to confess the money problem to me. Sometimes when you're in the pastorate, you start thinking about kids' college and elite soccer and all that stuff, and you start to get a little bit like, all right, how are we going to make this work? And you have to just hand it over. Jesus doesn't want me not to have money. He doesn't want me not to have the things for my kids, but I have to hand it over because it crept into me. I need to do more stuff, and I need to make sure that I have security. Many of us, it's never not being busy. You ever get that? Like many of us, it's like being busy is our thing. It's the obstacle in the way. For some of us, it's an attachment to a person. Right? It could be a spouse, it could be a dating relationship, it could be a future wanting a spouse, right? And so there's an attachment issue that goes on. Some of us, like myself, it's a people-pleasing. We can have people-pleasing as a saying, like, I'm running around and just trying to appease everyone. I'm trying to make sure that everyone's good. And God's like, I see you, I love you, now let go of it because there's an attachment. Some of us, it's... Job security or image, thank you, Dana, that's right. Status or power. You can't imagine living your life not knowing what the next paycheck is. Now, I'm not saying go stop your jobs. I'm not saying that. But some of us have to walk into that trust. Some of us is addiction. When things get stressful or hard, we don't go to God. We go to the bottle or to weed or we go to uh, pornography or we go to Netflix to completely get away. That's not what we're going to do. All of this give us a skewed perspective of who God is. 
all, all of us get a false sense of security in the things that we are attached to, okay? All of us have things that we go to instead of God. The rich young ruler, he didn't have to worry about stuff because he was rich, he was young, and he had power. And God, Jesus is saying, that's the obstacle. That's the obstacle for you. Because it leads us away from our full potential in Christ Jesus. Each of you were called to this church or called to be a believer to fulfill a kingdom assignment. Oftentimes, this is what gets us in the way. Because it leads to things not Christ-like. All of this stuff leads to, and all of us are walking around, I can see it, myself included, things like self-righteousness or pride. Your talent's enough, right? Numbness. Numbness is a huge thing in our society. Everyone's just trying to feel numb, and Jesus is like, I love you. I see you. Numbness is not your potential, dude. Self-centeredness. Thoughts and feelings and actions that lead us further from God rather than closer to God. We fight it. We fight security. We fight greed. We fight power. We fight envy. We fight luxury. I, I hate to say it, but we do. That's a huge thing for all of us. There's very few things I won't buy that lead to my life being easier. I have to admit, I bought one of those robot vacuums. This is the best decision of my life. I'm confessing. Lord, forgive me. But I still want it. <laughs> Placing our trust and our hope and our identities on things outside of God. Because Jesus tells us that the money is what was holding this guy back. So how does the man respond? Same way that I would respond. At, at this, the man fell on his face. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You will see this over and over again in Jesus' life. I stand up here all the time and I, I lay this on you guys. The call to discipleship is always the harder call. It is. I, I wish that I could sell it differently. Like, matter of fact, I think we'd have a mega church if I could sell it differently, but I refuse to because the call is always this here's who I see you to be, here's your potential. Here's what you do next. And you see, sometimes people respond this way. And oftentimes, people fall on their face and they walk away sad. For him, there was a gap to his calling. To go from rich and young and power to who God really sees him as a disciple of the way. And Jesus goes on because it's a spiritual problem. Mark 10, 23 through 31, Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard is it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at the, his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Some fair questions, like, all right, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with this, with man, this is impossible. Meaning, if you're trying to do the works, it's impossible. 
but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, of course, and we have, he says, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers, uh, children and fields along with, oh, sorry, I messed up, or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who will be first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus applies this to everyone, okay? He's, he's like, there are demands to the kingdom, okay? So he, he's going to broaden it. And he exposes the danger of anyone trusting in riches or security. There's actually danger in kingdom math. Notice Jesus doesn't say it's impossible for the rich to, to enter. He's not saying that. He's saying it's hard because the stuff here feels so good or the stuff here feels so secure or the stuff here feels so like permanent, doesn't it? Like no matter how hard you try, it still feels permanent. And the disciples were perplexed by this because Jesus is talking about countercultural. In Jewish context, it was the favor of the Lord if you were rich, right? So he's like, no, this is actually, this is who, who this is the favor of the Lord for those who are rich. And Jesus is saying, no, God sees the heart. God always sees the heart. He brings clarity to all this because he broadens the scope. He's like, the rich, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says it again, but he says, it's really hard for everyone to enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's a challenge for everyone. All of us are going to have obstacle after obstacle after obstacle in our way that will either bring us closer to God or further away from God. And he's saying that's what he's saying here. That's the fight of the disciple. This is the call that each of you have on your life is that you have choice after choice of moving closer to God or moving further away from God. But remember that Jesus says, I love you. I always have loved you and I see who you can fully be. Because if you really have denied yourself, everyone in this room who has done it over time will know that it's so much better. He uses this expression. He's like, it's like, it's easier for a camel, the largest animal in the region at that time, to enter through a common sewing needle, the smallest opening that you can think of. He's being a little facetious here. He's being funny. Then for a rich man to who trusts in his riches to enter the kingdom of God. And they're like, who can be saved? Because a camel is not going through an eye of the needle ever. Let's just, the math does not add up. People cannot achieve your salvation. There are no God points. You cannot achieve your salvation. But through God, you can receive salvation. The rich young ruler couldn't go through enough efforts, but salvation is possible. And so Jesus responds to his followers. And he's like, cast aside everything. Cast aside everything that would make you self-righteous. Cast away every obstacle that doesn't make you look more like Jesus. Cast it away. Get rid of it. Because Jesus graciously assures his disciples and thus us, that anyone who denies themselves for the sake of the gospel 
will receive it even more in the, in the present age and in the future. Now, here's the thing I want to share, because this is a common thing. This is a common thing that's happening in our culture. Unattaching from things is a thing. New age thought would be here. There's meditation thought, right? There's like going on yoga retreats or whatever it is. This is a common thing to unattach yourself from stuff. The minimalist life. My wife and I, we fight all the time to unattach ourselves from stuff. Like it is an active thing that we have to do. Now, unattaching yourself is different than what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is saying you unattach yourself to attach to me. Because that's the only way to salvation. You can get into emptying everything. You can live off of a bowl and some rice and beans the rest of your life. But if you unattach from all the worldly things, but don't attach yourself to Jesus, it does not matter. This is our call. We unattach ourselves to attach ourselves to Jesus. I want to end here. Man, you can come up. 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of the Father, the will of God, lives forever. Do not pursue the temporal things. Don't do it. When you have a heavenly mindset, God's will is what you do. Remove yourself from attachments because they feel permanent, but they are not. The will of God, the kingdom, things of heaven, those are the things that are permanent. Marty always talks about this. We talk about it as a family. This is the hardest thing in the discipleship to have a heavenly perspective. This stuff feels permanent. The challenges that you're going through feel permanent. Your, your relationship feels permanent. Your house and your security and your things feel permanent. But there have been generation after generation after generation after generation who have lived before us and they have died as poor as they came into the world. And it feels so permanent. But then they're faced with the day where they're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And God and Jesus is saying, trusting in the temporal things will not get you to the heavenly things. John goes farther. Those who love the world do not love the Father. It's the hardest thing. I say this all the time. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and live in the world and sprinkle Jesus into your life whenever you need him. It is this, I live in this world, but I am not of this world. I am a Jesus follower. And he lists three things, the desire of our flesh, all of our thoughts, all of our will, the stuff that we want to do and we don't, or we don't want to do and we still find ourselves doing, we fight the will all the time, all of our actions, the desires of our flesh. And then he's like, the desires of your flesh and the desires of your eyes, 
our natural bent to want what other people have and acquire the things that other people have. That is a thing that I have. Rabbi Brent always talks about it. He loves us in the Psalms that talks about over and over again. It's like, I do all the right things, Lord, but they're sitting in first class and I'm back here in coach, right? The desires of our eyes, the people living for the temporal, we're like, I want that too. And then the boasting of our lives. So the desires of our flesh, the desires of our eyes, and the boasting of our lives. Look, we got the stuff. We got the possessions. We got the accomplishment. Like, what does my LinkedIn profile look like, right? Like, can I list on the resume all the stuff that I have done? Because instead, he's saying this, you have to remove, move beyond the earthly desires and look to the heavenly desires always. We are not too lofty to not be the Israelites. We look at them and we say, man, how could they do that? And yet we all have these idols that we're building. I don't know this, but I don't think anybody in here has a golden calf in their living room. Idols look a lot different in our context, but we're not beyond them. We can also relate to the rich young ruler because Jesus is calling you to unattach yourself. And Paul tell, or John tells you to unattach yourself from the world. And we always have the choice to say, yes, Lord, I will be faithful and I'll walk in obedience to you or say, you know what? I'm going to fall on my face and I'm going to walk away sad because that's too hard. But Jesus loves you. He will always love you. Has nothing to do with what you can do for him. But it's this, I see the potential in you and I want to take you to the next level. Unattach your things to attach to me. So how do we do this? I think we go like the rich young ruler. He did one thing really, really well. I mean, he did a lot. He lived by the law, but he did one thing really particularly well. He ran to Jesus and he fell to his knees and he spent time with Jesus. And we do this as a posture of prayer, but here's what I want to challenge you all in. This is a daily practice that I do. We have to repent. We have to repent of the things that we have put our trust in. Because if you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in you the things that you have put your trust in that are not of the heavenly realm, but of the worldly realm, I guarantee you will get a list. And that's a good thing. And you repent. You say, Lord, I turn my back from those things. And I receive your forgiveness because salvation only comes from what God did for you through the person of Jesus Christ not what you can do. So we repent and we say, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. And Lord, I want to remove, I want to unattach all the things that I am so tempted to attach myself in, to attach to you more, Jesus, because then we're really going to be shaken, all right? We receive it and we replace it with trusting in Jesus and we renew our minds and we renew our hearts in Jesus. Ben, you can come on up. I'm going to pray.
just everyone bow their heads. I'm going to, I'd be remiss not to just let the, the Spirit speak right now. So come Holy Spirit. We know that you're active. Pray the prayer we always pray in this church. Holy Spirit, will you convict anyone that needs to be convicted of things that they have trusted in outside of what you have for them? Any security, any attachments, anything that they are currently doing that is outside the direction that you want them to. And then also, will you encourage them? Because we just love you, Lord, that you don't leave us just hanging. Instead, you say, this is who I see you as. This is who I want you to be. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would just, as people pray and reflect, Lord, would you speak to them? Speak to the things that they need to let go of and speak to the things, the ways that you made them. And then, Lord, the man was faced with this decision to weigh all the things that you're telling him to move from, to follow you. The question was, are you worthy? And Jesus, we declare in this place that you are worthy. There's nothing that you could call us to that would be beyond your majesty and your glory and your righteousness and your salvation and your love. So, Lord, we declare all the things that you spoke to, that, Lord, we unattach, we work to unattach ourselves from the things, to attach ourselves to you, the King of kings, the one who's worthy of it all. Jesus, you say that you love us, and we say that we love you. You're worth it all. You're worthy of it all. Many of us have sacrificed so much for the kingdom, Lord. And I just want to say to each person that the Lord knows it and he says it's worth it. It's worth it. I pray protection over each person in this place that we would fully trust you in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.